Greetings, Church of the Cake listeners. This is Brian, and today David and I have pulled together a episode on uh, Daredevil, but we didn't do it by ourselves. Um, a show of that caliber requires some extra help, and uh, today we have with us uh, on our show uh, Eric Clark, who um, he's very well credentialed. I gotta say, he is—he's a writer, he's a speaker, he's a Presbyterian minister, and uh, he lives out west in uh, Portland um, with his uh, family. And uh, and see, so he's an author of a book, uh, Never Pray Again. And uh, he has a YouTube series, Lection Eric. Now I'll tell you his name is Eric, A-R-I-C, Eric. Uh, so it's Lection Eric. Um, that's, uh, it's a uh, weekly series on uh, the, uh, the lectionary uh, and interpreting the scriptures. Uh, he loves tabletop gaming. He, this, he is sort of the geek of all geeks. Um, if he wasn't so busy, he might have come up with the idea for this, uh, this podcast on his own. But uh, he can be found uh, on his website, www.ericclark.com, A-R-I-C-C-L-A-R-K.com, Eric Clark. Um, he is also on uh, twofriarsandafool.com, and uh, on you can find him on Twitter, at Eric Clark, A-R-I-C-C-L-A-R-K, all in word. Um, this, I have to say, was probably one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far, even though... Um, I, I wasn't even uh, finished watching Daredevil when we recorded it. So it is a uh, really fantastic episode, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Brian, nice to meet you, man. Hey, Eric. It's real good to meet you, too. How are you doing? Doing all right. Awesome. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, sounds fun. I love so, the show, so happy to talk about it. Oh, wow. Thanks very much. So um, I met uh, Eric through Unco stuff, um, and he's been a part of that community, although I don't know that we've ever been at the same Unco, have we? Eric, I don't think we have. Yeah. Eric, the man from Unco. Um, <laughs> and Eric... Uh, works with does the whole two friars and a fool project uh and uh really enjoying the new project lection eric which are what they're about minute and a half two minute videos on uh, the lectionary uh, they're more like five minute videos but um, yeah all right um so i i've really enjoyed those those have been a lot of fun and, and what else are you doing now that you're out west uh i'm doing a lot of speaking and teaching right now uh on never pray again the book we published last year and on some other stuff that Presbyterian churches really interested in Israel-Palestine stuff right now, and I spent some time in Israel-Palestine last year, so I'm doing some talking on that and keeping myself busy as a dad and yeah. all those other things. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, we don't have, like, a structured format for our time. Uh, we just kind of start talking when we start talking and uh, cut it off usually sometime between 20 and 30 minutes, something like that. Um, we try not to shoot too much longer than that. 
but we wanted to talk about uh, Daredevil. Um, I'm ready for season two. You ready for season two? Definitely. Definitely. Right? I was actually surprised they announced season two, given that they had this big plan to do all four of the Defenders and then uh, release the joint Defenders. But uh, it sounds like they're going all in with Daredevil and doing more of Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. And, and have you gotten done yet, Brian? Are you there? I'm here. No, I have not. Um, oh. I'm, I'm a couple episodes in. So sad trombone. I, I had to. I know. Wah, wah. Uh, yeah, I had to. Well, end of the school year, trying to get everything there. Board meeting, just you know. So right. Well, we'll try not to spoil too much. No, no, hey, no, you no. Know what? Spoilers are happening. No. <laughs> Spoilers can happen. It's fine. It's not a problem. Um, so. So what 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 yeah. I'm really excited about what what really caught my interest is um, just the character development is so rich in this show um, and, and to me uh, that's what I love this is um, like everything first off everything about this show just like screams this is Frank Miller's Daredevil right I mean yeah. it's 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 the water on the windows when it's raining outside and dark shots. Um, blood spatter in all the fights, you know, but then the character development in particular, um, these are not one dimensional heroes at all. No, no. I love, I love how much time they spend with each moment and, uh, with the development, uh, you know, toward the end of the season, um, Daredevil, uh, Matt Murdock and his friend have a falling out and, um, you know, they don't, like, resolve it in a single episode. They don't neatly tie it up with a bow. They, like, let it linger, and they let you really feel what the characters are feeling for a while and stuff. It's a kind of thing you normally don't see outside of, you know, the HBO Showtime sort of prestige shows, like, um, you know, Sopranos and stuff. That They normally, most, most TV shows are in a rush to, like, give you that resolved feeling at the end of an episode. Yeah. So, I, I think that, I think that, um, the exact opposite situation happens in Arrow. Mm-hmm. Right, Arrow, right. Oh my gosh, 15 minutes is all they need. They don't even need an entire episode. <laughs> you know, I can't tell you the number of times people have gone from the pit of despair to complete reunification in like 15 minutes, and you go, really? Yeah, right. So. Yeah, and, and because they do it repeatedly, it ceases being believable about the second or third time you see it happen. You're like, yeah, whatever. I don't believe that you're actually upset because I know that within, you know, within the span of this episode, you'll be fine again. Exactly, right? No, it's great whenever you have something that's over over an extended period. Um, when you See, I mean, I think this is the difference between a weekly TV show, when you're writing in the weekly TV show and you're writing, um, and out, even outside of a movie, um, when you're writing – Basically, it's a serial, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's and it's all there, and you know there's stuff that's going to keep. It's they write it for the twelve episodes. They don't write it for the individual episode. Mm-hmm. And the storylines show that, and it allows you to develop things in ways that just the hour long television show format doesn't doesn't cut. Yeah. Netflix's model of dropping an entire season at once um, with it has really, I think, changed the art form to a certain degree in that, that it allows the writers and the creators to think, okay, I don't need to recap. I don't need to in- worry if about a viewer having missed an episode and therefore I have to get all the pertinent facts into every episode to make sure that everyone's up to speed on everything. I don't need to um, 
I don't need to tie off every episode in a neat little bow because I can allow them to, to allow themes to develop over several episodes. Um, I think it's, I think it's really allowed that, that, uh, a new, a new way of writing for, for television, which is awesome. Yeah. I think the format question is really important. Um, one of my faith changing experiences was, uh, reading the Bible in 90 days. We did this as a congregation in a congregation I serve and to experience the whole story that close together, uh, to move that quickly through Genesis into Exodus in like two days and to realize how closely those stories tie together and to move out of the prophets into the Jesus story so quickly and see how all the connections are made, which you don't get even if you're just reading, you know, a lectionary that occurs every three years or, uh, even a year-long read-through, but to read it through in that short. And Netflix knows that most of us are going to uh, forego sleep, call in sick from work, and watch all of this in one weekend uh, and get from, except for Brian, and get from the opening line episode to the finale, and we're able to make that connection between what happened at the very beginning and what happened at the end because we just saw it. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, and that point about the about the Bible and getting it in a new new uh, new way is uh, really significant. I often teach people uh, that you know, for example, the letters of Paul really should be, if possible, read in a single sitting, the whole letter, because that's how they were intended to be experienced. They would have been read aloud in a congregational setting, you know, the whole letter. We just received a letter from Paul. You're not going to read, you know one-tenth of the letter and then say, well, we'll pick it up next week and read more next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so back to character development, I think uh, the, the, the Arrow comparison is phenomenal, um, right? So Oliver is basically a good guy, but he's conflicted because he's moody, basically, right? They, they, they've given us uh, uh, – um, what, what's the analogy that someone used the other day? A, a, a Dawson's Creek superhero, right? He, mm-hmm. he, he, he's just moody. It's not that he's... <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's so funny. It, right? <laughs> it's not that he's, like, internally conflicted. He's just a moody guy, and he makes bad decisions. Yeah. Um, well, and they bring that home by the fact that they keep doing the flashbacks, and they keep showing you that even before he had this traumatic experience, which supposedly is what shaped him into the Arrow, he was already a moody. He was, he was basically a teenager right. from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so, but here, Matt Murdock is, is like a deeply conflicted guy, I think. Um, and, and he walks that border between, um, like, really, what's the line between him and Wilson Fisk? Mm-hmm. I, I toward the end of the season, it's the second or third from the end. Uh, Wilson Fix points out that hey, we're basically the same, you know. Our our goal is the same, and in in lots of ways, our methods are pretty much the same. Yeah, I really like that Wilson Fisk is like you know, I'm just trying to do what you're trying to do on a scale that matters, right? <laughs> Which is a great way. Of I'm just better at it than you. you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and I mean, is he wrong? You know, they're, 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 the, so it, those of you who, who are, who are catching up, uh, the, the, the scene unfolds and they're, they're, they're wailing on each other in one of those long drawn out fight scenes that Daredevil does. Uh, and, and Fisk says, we're basically the same. Fisk's goal is to, to save the city and, and Murdoch's goal is to save the city. Neither of them has problems, uh, getting their hands dirty doing it. Um, and I think that kind of, um, to me gets at, at what makes this so great as a, as a storytelling. 
Yeah. I mean, I think if the, there are differences between Fisk and uh, Matt Murdock, and I think the differences are are a few. One is, I mean, clearly neither have a problem with violence, neither have a problem with uh, going outside the law, as it were, to, to do so. Um, but what where where I think uh, where I think the differences start to lie and where I think they really tease them out toward the end of the series is that um, who they think they're saving the city for. Um, Matt Murdock is saving the city for the poor, for the exploited, for the people who uh, who currently in the structures of the city are not benefiting by the the way the city is put together. And Fisk is trying to save the city for the privileged, for the be- for those who are already benefiting. You know, he, his project is basically gentrification, right? His project is basically to make Hell's Kitchen a nice place for his wealthy, art-loving friends. And um, and so. You know, they they both think of themselves as people who are trying to save the city, but they're they're trying to save the city for different people, which which I think is significant. And then I think the other factor that's significant there is is that this they have parallel struggles, but they end up falling to opposite sides of the struggle. In other words, Matt Murdock is struggling with his Catholicism, with his faith, with his is it okay to do what I'm doing? Am I breaking some some core part of my internal moral code uh, in doing so. And he ends up sort of deciding that the code is, the, the moral code that he has, that his faith is important to him enough to prevent him from killing. And, and you know, that, that that is, whereas Fisk's, Fisk is struggling with, you know, his father and his childhood and all those sorts of things and, and kind of a parallel struggle about his identity and who he is. And he, at the very end, falls to the opposite side. He says, actually, you know, he uses that beautiful rendition of the uh, Good Samaritan story. And he, he says, I am the ill intent. I realized I thought I had good motivations, but I really don't. And I'm OK with that. That scene, that scene where he retells the Good Samaritan story sitting in the, the back of the way. Man. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, it's a, uh, uh, I, I haven't dug through the article yet, but someone published a, a, a article a couple of days ago uh, said, if you don't teach your kids the stories of the Bible, Marvel will, um, <laughs> which is just great. Having, you know, coming off of age of Ultron uh, and, and no spoilers, but there's so much in that, that, that is, I mean, not even implicit. It's not even that the themes are there. It is explicitly telling the story. Um, right. And same here. I mean, he's explicitly telling the story and, and, and midrashing on it. Um, yeah, it's like a seven-minute soliloquy. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love more preachers to be that great biblical storytellers. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, well, I was impressed in general through the show um, at the way they brought in religious themes in ways that were interesting and complex, not simplistic. Um, a normal presentation on, on, in television or in pop culture of religion, it tends to be either religion is cartoonishly good, you know, like the priest is the just purely noble, innocent, you know, person, or religion is cartoonishly evil. It's all corrupt and self-serving and, and there. And in either case, the theology is poor and, and there's a real, it's clear they didn't consult with anyone who knows anything about the Bible um, in a lot of cases. But in Daredevil, that's obviously not the case. They, they uh, not only is their portrayal of Catholicism uh, relatively nuanced and interesting. Their priest character is uh, is, is a nuanced and interesting character who shows yeah. layers of thought. 
And when he even speaks explicitly, like scripturally and theologically, he says things which are um, credible. Like I can imagine a, a, a Catholic priest actually having that perspective and thinking of those things through in that way. His commentary about um, Satan and the fact that he refers to the fact that, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, Hasatan means adversary. And it's someone there like, you, you know, Catholic priests have since the exorcist been, you know, caricatures of people who believe in a little man with red horns that yeah. you know is there and this guy they give a much more interesting portrayal of what what his theology is around uh devils and demons and how that relates to the plot of daredevil well and it's it's, it's such the perfect mix right so he's simultaneously uh, exceptionally pastoral uh, which is great and and i love seeing that in a character a a a explicitly clergy character because often they're not right they're they're that right. sort of character um so he's he's very pastoral but also like you said i mean i could see him you know uh up in the pulpit on sunday morning say if you look at the original greek you know and yeah. in the same way that we would right <laughs> right yeah absolutely which is which is delightful because it it's it's a it's a realistic portrayal like yeah. all i want for my entertainment when it comes to uh portraying clergy folk and church and religious people is to portray us interestingly portray us with some depth don't you don't have to make you know the church noble more than it is you don't need to make clergy the heroes of the story but just make us not uh two-dimensional caricatures that fill your uh you know plot device um i love that they they go yeah let's make this person interesting yeah i think isn't that the uh i mean the idea of realism, I mean, that's the great thing about the portrayal of Daredevil, right? I mean, he's an interesting character. He's not the white hat. He's not the black hat. You know, this this fits in some ways back to one of our early episodes, David, about the anti-hero. I was thinking about that, where Daredevil, he's not really an anti-hero, um, but he's complex and he's interesting, um, and and he, he has the full range of sort of human existence, and very often... Um, a lot of story writers uh, rely on the very simple sort of um, reductions of characters because it um, we're so often tuned into that. Like we can automatically fill in some of that backstory um, without them having to spend the time doing it. If they go to sort of that stock reduction of character and, and they, you know, again, over 12 episodes and, uh, you know, uh, over this kind of length of a story arc, um, they don't have to simply go to those stock reductions. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, a, I mean, tropes and cliches serve a purpose. They're there to give you a signal as the audience member, what you're supposed to understand about this character in quick shorthand, but you know, they need to be used wisely and not overused. And, uh, and I think that, you know, too often, especially in, in, in typical geek fare, especially in comic books and sci-fi and stuff, the the tropes get leaned on really heavily, and um, and it's great to see that pattern being broken, and great to see a, a more uh, nuanced portrayal of a character being uh, done. Really, throughout, they they continue to develop Murdoch's character and all of the characters. They continue to uh, develop Karen's character and, um, all the way through to the last episode. Yeah, and I think uh, for me, what, what what resonates so deeply is that uh, these characters are depicted in a way that 
fits the way our tradition talks about us, um, right? That 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 we're not uh, holy good or holy bad. We're all kind of a mixed bag. Uh, we all have have even our heroes aren't necessarily always heroes, right? Uh, so you go biblically through the story. Abraham is the same Abraham who tries to shell out his wife as his sister uh, so that he doesn't get killed, and and on down the line. Um, Jacob's the hero, but he's kind of a lying creep, uh, you know, and <laughs> the, the, these are our, our biblical heroes. Moses is a hero, but yeah, he did cold-bloodedly murder a guy, um, and, and, and that did happen. So is he the good guy or the bad guy of the story? Well, he's a mixed bag, as we all are, um, and, and, and this is how the Lutheran tradition writes sinners and saints the way we talk about us. We're none of us either or, but both and. Yay, verily. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's definitely the case that um, that that mixed bag portrayal of the hero is um, really interesting. I guess what particularly interests me in this is that I guess I've seen the I've seen the dark and brooding antihero. I kind of had enough of um, Batman, for example, just in the way that Batman's been portrayed for the last decade plus. It's it's good. There's some good movies been made about Matt, uh, using Batman, but um, but there's a certain point where I reach where I'm like, you know, there's so much. It's just we're dwelling so much in in his uh, past pain, uh, you know, that it 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 ceases to be interesting to me at a certain point. Um, and in a way, Captain America formed, is forming a nice contrast to that in that Captain America is one of the few superhero type characters out there who's just genuinely a good guy, like who genuinely just desires the good for other people, um, in, in, in that mode. So that's been refreshing. And I think that Matt Murdock sits somewhere sort of interestingly between those characters in that he has certainly got his, his pain and his shadows and his things that are there. But I wouldn't say like, like, I wouldn't say um, that Matt isn't trying to um, beat up thugs because thugs killed his parents. It's not, like, that simplistic of a connection. Matt actually cares about, like, the very first, the way he gains his powers is by pushing a man out of the way of a truck that the truck then spills toxic waste on him or whatever. So, like, Matt Murdock has this in him that he cares about other people. That's part of who he is. It isn't just, I was traumatized as a child and therefore I now act this out. Uh, his trauma is more connected with the, like, the question of power and will to power in that, like, I want to do these good things for people, but it seems like no matter what I do, people get hurt. So what is, how, what is the path to doing the right thing? Like, his question is, I want to do the right thing. How do I do the right thing? Because it seems unclear that there's not some sort of clear cut, this is the right way to do it path, which is an, an interesting question. It's more of a moral question of means and ends as opposed to a, a, a story of childhood trauma then reflected as an adult drive to be a vigilante. Yeah, I think the other nice thing, uh, I mean, that I find with, with Daredevil is that it's not, um, it is not world consuming and he's trying to do the right thing. It's not because the fate of the world is at stake, right? I mean, we're, I'm, I'm, with Avengers, everything is always like the world is going to die, right? I mean, this everything is has those massive stakes. And for Daredevil, he's trying to do the right thing because 
it's the people he knows, right? It's it's the stuff that's just going on around him. I, yeah. I've likened it before in some other conversations to, you know, if Tolkien, right, is what we call high epic fantasy, you know, Conan was the swords and sorcery, just a hero trying to make it through the through the day. Uh, Daredevil is kind of the same thing, which which I'm really hoping that the Defenders continues kind of in in that whole sort of sense, like. They really care about their neighborhood, right? Which then I think is re- is very helpful for me as uh, someone following Jesus. In so, like, I don't have to. I mean, I love the notion of um, apocalyptic eschatology, right? And this whole, whole sort of notion of the ultimate struggle between good and evil, and good will prevail. But what do I do in my daily life, right? How do I how do I handle this moving through the day? Well, you know what. I care about the people around me, right? And so I don't always have to keep that massive scope in mind, even though it might prove this is how I show that love and that reality to those around me. So, um, yeah, right. And I, I mean, I think in Down to Earth, they, they point out something, which is, I think, the, the question of what makes something heroic, uh, which is, for me, what makes Matt Murdock heroic, similar to in some ways what makes Peter Parker heroic, is that they they do the the noble thing uh, at great personal cost. Um, with you know where they're not sort of invincible and powerful. I mean, Superman in some ways isn't heroic to me because if you're invincible, well, then you probably should save the world. I mean, you better if you're if you're invincible and you don't save the world, you're kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, the, but, but Matt Murdock is completely not invincible. He gets the crap beat out of him all the time. Almost every single episode that he engages in any daredevil stuff, he gets walloped. And he, it's not just that he gets physically beat up, but that he chose to do, to, to begin their own practice and to practice with poor folks where he knows he could have had this lucrative job as a corporate lawyer. He, he forgo that he, you know, he gave that up in order to do what he thought was the, the more righteous thing. So I think that that element of his character, which is that says that what's heroic about him is not that he's powerful. What's heroic about him is that despite the fact that he's not very powerful, he still engages in self risk and, and, uh, and tries to help other people. Well, and I mean, let's be honest, right? So I'm totally fanboying over Age of Ultron. I thought it was phenomenal. It was great entertainment. Um, but on some level, if you take these movies apart and, and these two stories apart, um, Avengers are going to save the world no matter what it costs the neighborhood. And, and they're likely to destroy the neighborhood in the process of saving the world. Uh, regardless of, of, of what it costs, uh, the buildings that they happen to knock down and the people who happen to be in them. And there are a couple moments in this one where they actually like, make an effort to to stop that from happening unlike in other ones but still more or less they leave a trail of destruction behind them uh and that's even part of the story of daredevil right they're rebuilding the neighborhood after the big event of the first avengers movie um and daredevil is the exact opposite it's all about the neighborhood it's all about the rebuilding it's all about the community um what a model, I think, really for church, right? Like, I think we kind of have had oftentimes when we've got big institutional church just said, well, this is what we're going to do, regardless of what your neighborhood looks like, whatever, regardless of what your neighborhood needs, this is what church looks like. So do this. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're kind of turning that around now and saying, what does your neighborhood look like? And what does your neighborhood need? And what does the community need? And I, I kind of like that a little better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the, um, the very concreteness of it, of in, in, in the Avengers, as you say, you know, there's a sense in which we're heroes and we'll do whatever it takes, you know, on behalf of, you know, all of humanity, it's this grand scale, but because of that, the all of humanity, it's sort of faceless who they're, who they're being heroic for. But, um, you know, Matt Murdock is like, no, no, I'm going to do this for Rosa, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Which is a totally different level of like the, you know, who he's being heroic on behalf of is a uh, real flesh and butt blood named people in his neighborhood around well, him. And, and he's, and, and as you pointed out, he, he's a real flesh and blood guy. And this is the part I like. I can imagine Foggy and Matt having trouble paying their rent. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yep. I, I don't see that happening with Tony Stark and Captain. And, you know, that's not a reality that they live in. That's not the world that they're a part of. Um, and a world where you don't have to worry about you know, buying groceries and, and paying your rent is not a world I live in. Um, I, I feel more like Daredevil inhabits the world that we're actually in. Definitely. I, I agree. I agree. Even the, even the bit about, um, thanks brain for blanking right now, right? The secretary, um, who can't go back to her apartment because of the blood stain. Yeah. 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 Right? Uh, yeah. Like, you get that. Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you get that. It's it's really uh, relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely relatable. And I love that. Um, I mean, I, I, Karen is another great example of how the show portrays heroism uh, in a way that's very humanizing. Because her arc through the show is all about her determination to find out the truth behind what happened with her company that fired her and stuff and, and all that stuff that happened and what's going on with Wilson Fisk and stuff. She, she has, she doesn't even have daredevils fighting training and prowess or super senses. She has, she is just a person <laughs> and she, she like throughout the series risks her life continually for no other reason than she thinks it's the right thing to do. She's convinced it's the right thing to do. Um, and, and, uh, you know, similarly, you know, Matt Murdock says, let's not take this corporate job. Uh, Matt Murdock has, in a way, something, some other reason besides just the, the altruistic lawyer reasons for, for leaving the corporate job. He is going to be this vigilante at night. Foggy doesn't. Foggy's just a lawyer and Foggy still does it. He still chooses your right. It's the better thing to do. So, it's great that, like, in the show, the depiction of what heroism is, it's like heroism is that quality of being willing to sacrifice yourself for other people, even when you don't, you know, that you're not going to get anything from it, and you're not even sure you have the power or ability to solve the problem. It's still yeah. worth attempting to do it um, there. And that quality is you. It isn't unique to Matt Murdock in the show. He's not the lone hero. He's not the sole guy that's significant in this story. Um, you know, he's, he's the titular character, but really Foggy and Karen are being just as heroic. And the journalist Ben are really, they're being just as heroic without superpowers. 
Well, but see, I think that's in the same way. When we think about Jesus, people who want to go, well, he was Jesus. He could do that sort of stuff. And you want to go in the same way, you know, that we are called to live uh, in following that path. Um, we can see Jesus in others, right? It doesn't, it's not just the super pious and the super religious. Or the, it's, it's not like that's a superpower, you know, um, mm-hmm. following in that there, yes, there's risk and there's vulnerability and there's always a, you know, a chance we're going to take it in the chops, but, um, it's, it's, it's who we are. So right. just, just, just thinking, you mentioned foggy and I, I really think Foggy is the hero in this story, right? Foggy is, I think, the 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 unmitigated good in this this story. Yeah. Uh, and in some ways, on the opposite side, Vanessa, uh, Fisk's girlfriend, is the unmitigated bad. Like she is evil. Yeah, um, she really is. And 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 Foggy is just a really so. It's, She's a great Lady Macbeth character. Yeah. So you've got these two conflicted characters in the middle fighting it out with Foggy and Vanessa, really kind of, if you will, the conscience behind both. Uh-huh. Um, it's just Absolutely. fascinating. Uh, to, to... Which is clearly demonstrated toward the end of the season when Foggy really, I think, arguably saves Matt Murdock from, you know, Matt is kind of at a tipping point where he's just about to go ahead and get, you know, sacrifice and say, you know what, never mind. I'm just forget my Catholicism, for forget my internal moral code, forget my taboo against killing. I'm just going to do what has to be done. And Foggy really, I think, pulls him back from that. And I think that that's... Uh, yeah, I think that that's clearly the case, that Foggy um, is Murdoch's conscience and uh, reminds him of, you know, what w- <laughs> he's like, remember, we left that corporate job for this. Don't, yeah. you know, don't forget the reasons. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, we're uh, coming up on on time for us. uh this has just been I, I I'm really looking forward to season two. I hope that they're able to keep up uh this quality of writing and um character development. Uh I, I think the temptation is always gonna be to go back the easy direction uh into season two. Uh so I'm hoping that they don't do that because to me this is this just so deeply reflects who we say we are and who we say the world is. Um mm-hmm. We're not one-dimensional. Absolutely. No, I think that I think they've set a great precedent. I hope they can keep it up. Um, so we always close uh, with with the same question every week, um, and that's this: uh, What's the geekiest thing you've been up to lately? Uh, and uh, I'll start over with Brian. Brian, what's the geeky thing you've been up to lately? I'm going to avoid the completely obvious answer uh, from over the past week, but uh, uh, Avengers. And um, I'm just going to say. Uh, because I, I want I don't want it to get lost in the in the background uh, or the or the or the title wave of of uh, that particular movie. But um, the second season of Penny Dreadful started um, a series on Showtime, and it is a really uh, I, I caught up on it uh, eight episodes in the first season uh, right before the second uh, season started. It's this really wonderful mishmash of sort of. Uh, literary horror characters, Dr. Frankenstein and Van Helsing and, um, uh, and all of these themes and, and vampires and werewolves and, um, it all set in Victorian era London. Um, I've been really just in, in, in enraptured by this. It's, 
I love when people can bring those kind of characters together uh, into a kind of a newly created universe and storyline. So uh, watching that has really gotten me um, very interested, and um, I've been loving that. Fantastic. And Eric, uh, how you been geeking out lately? Yeah, well, in terms of uh, like television and pop culture and stuff, I recently um, started watching Archer, which is hilarious um, spoof of James Bond spy show. Uh, it's you know it's completely raunchy and inappropriate, but very 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 funny. I in a way think that the greatest gift that uh, you know Ian Fleming gave us with James Bond wasn't really James Bond, but was all the all the parodies and spoofs that have come. I mean, there's been more good, you know. Uh, takedowns of the spy genre than I think there have been actual good spy movies, <laughs> which is, which is awesome. It's kind of ironic that that's the case, but I mean, yeah. you know, starting with Austin Powers and, uh, and the series of those and Archer. And then just earlier this year, um, there was, uh, the guy from Matthew Vaughn, the director of kick-ass who, um, had the, the Kingsman, um, that was also in that, in that vein. Um, so, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty hilarious stuff. But one of my great delights this last couple of weeks, um, in geeking out has been that my kids have reached an age where I am teaching them how to play Dungeons and Dragons. So it is a great deep, awesome. da- deep geek dad moment. That's great. Uh-huh. That's phenomenal. Nice. <clears throat> uh, do, do, do they have character preferences? What, what character class do they prefer? Yeah, my elder my elder son uh, is playing a barbarian. Very determined that he wanted to be a uh, big half orc barbarian, and uh, my uh, younger son is an elven ranger. So nice. in the Legolas mold, probably. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, uh, we have been uh, if if you've seen on Twitter, we have been watching through uh, Enterprise. Uh, the the uh, most overlooked of the Star Trek series, um, and boy, season one and two are hard. Uh, I probably got hung up on season one for a good year halfway through and and stopped watching a number of different times before I finally plowed through and 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 got now into season four. Uh, we're almost done, Megan and I, with with season four, and it is phenomenal. It's really, really good. Um, and I, I think Archer might be my favorite captain, uh, Jonathan Archer, uh, the, the the first Starship Enterprise captain. Um, it's just really good. It's, it's a shame that it got canned then, but I see why, because boy, those first couple of seasons were rough, uh, really rough. Uh, and and I counted. Uh, a sign of fortitude that we made it through them. Uh, and then, of course, Comic Book Day. We had a great time on Comic Book Day and, and uh, met uh, the author of my daughter's favorite uh, comic book at the moment, uh, which is Anne Bonny, a new one, uh, and a, a really good for for uh, girls, a young female hero, uh, age-appropriate for my daughter. So we had a lot of fun with that, too. So that's what we've been up to. Well, yeah. David, you are a better man than I. I didn't even make it out of the first season of Enterprise. <laughs> that first season is hard. I mean, we really did. Oh, didn't... it was bad. It was uh, tough. <laughs> I, I I really, three to four different times, I started and I watched a couple episodes and I stopped and I came back like three months later and I watched a couple episodes and I stopped. Uh, and finally I just said, all right, I'm doing this and sat down and, and made it through. Uh, but it's the payoff. Season four is really good. Um, so. All right. All right. Any closing thoughts, fellas? 
Well, hey, Eric, it was great to have you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us and, and sharing that uh, great insights on Daredevil. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Thanks for inviting me. Love the podcast and uh, love to hear future episodes. All right. Thanks so much. And uh, Geek be with you guys. Also with you. And that's it. Another episode of uh, Church of the Geek is in the books. If you want to follow us, uh, you can find us uh, at Geek Church on Twitter, uh, on Facebook at Church of the Geek, or uh, if you want to follow David, it's at Rev underscore David on Twitter. And for me, it's at Brian underscore O underscore Bennett. As always, we have a number of issues in the hopper. We're looking forward to uh, bringing you a few more episodes. Uh, But until then, Geek be with you.